there. Matthew 6, verse 13, um, which says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, let's pray together, and we're going to dissect this scripture, okay? Lord, uh, we thank you that you've already blessed your word. I don't have to ask you to bless your word, but we ask that you bless this time. Um, even as Cindy just prayed for us, uh, prayed for us together to you, Lord, that you would come and enjoy our worship. God, what a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful posture that is for every man, every woman, every student, every boy and girl that's here to say, God, come and just sit back and enjoy uh, our worship of you. And, and Lord, we know you're active that uh, we can't outgive you, that as as we proclaim your greatness, as we proclaim with clarity who you are, God, you respond. And we ask that you would respond, that you'd come with conviction into our hearts, that you'd come and you'd change us and transform us, that you would affirm uh, where we're surrendered and, and you're doing great things in our lives. But God, that you would also bring uh, great clarity and conviction in our lives uh, where we're missing the mark, where we're sinning where we have addictions, where we have vices, and to know that you are far greater than any sin, than any, any temptation, than any other Savior, than any idol, God. You're far greater. So, Lord, uh, we thank you for, uh, for being here, and we ask that you bring clarity to us of our enemies, uh, the weapons that we have at our disposal, our allies, Lord, how to wield our weapons, and how to live every day um, on the battlefield. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about evil. Last week, we talked about temptation and sin. Um, we talked about, and we, we got into how there's, there's two primary enemies that we have, um, and it's, it's not the world that's our primary enemy, um, it's not the human condition that's our primary enemy. It's not even others that are our primary enemy or enemies. Our two primary enemies are Satan and ourselves. Um, and and we'll, we're going to get more into that of knowing that it's not just this one omnipresent Satan or devil that's everywhere, but, uh, but he does have a lot on his team that work against us. Um, but, but go back there, especially as we dealt with uh, our enemy being us. We'll, we'll go a little bit into that today. But if you want more information on that, um, look at last week's teaching about it. We're going to talk about evil and what it is. Uh, we also want to talk about um, how life is war. Every day. Every day. This morning when you woke up, you didn't realize it because you woke up and you saw your bedroom. But the reality was you woke up on a field of battle with things blazing all around you and those who desire to destroy you. They're on your tail. And uh, we, if, if we're to live life as a war, and, th and this is where we're going today, you need to be able to identify your leader. You need to be able to identify your enemies, which I'm proposing in, uh, as, as Satan and yourself. You need to be able to identify your allies. You need to be able to identify your weapons that you have at your disposal. And you need to know how to wield those weapons and keep a warfare mentality. So let's start by defining evil. Um, evil, uh, just by definition, is the opposite of good and righteous. It's the antithesis, the complete opposite of goodness, the opposite 
of righteousness. Um, it doesn't help too much to, uh, to give you actual Greek words in, in their Greek morphology, but, but rather to explain to you what they mean in English is, is uh, what's most relevant. Uh, however, um, in the, the description, the definition of, of evil, there's one Greek word um, that I think if you, if you hear it, It'll explain it. It's not the word that's used here. We'll get to that one in just a second. But one of the Greek words for evil is kakos. And so if you understand that evil is kaka, it absolutely is. Uh, that's what it brings to your life. That's what it brings to those around you is it absolutely brings kaka. Kakos is how you would say it. Now, um, that just means evil in general. The point of this term here... Um, you don't need to know what the Greek word is, but it means evil person. Deliver us from evil. That's right. why some of your versions may even say, deliver us from the evil one. Because it's pointing to a personality, a persona, that is actually an evil enemy uh, that's there to destroy you. And in particular, it is talking about Satan and those uh, that fight against God, but we'll see how, as we go through this, especially as we get into Ephesians 6, you're going to see that, that Satan is not your only enemy, but probably your greatest enemy is actually you, is yourself, is your flesh. But, uh, but again, about evil, just broadly speaking, evil is different from just wanting good for yourself in, in a sinful way. Greed, consumerism, materialism, where you just, you want things for yourself, okay? That, that, can, that is sinful, but that, not, that is not necessarily evil because it's something that you're wanting for you. Uh, it's different from not wanting good for others. Envy takes things even further than greed because envy not just says, doesn't just say, I want what you have or something like what you have. It actually means, I want what you have and I don't want you to have it. So it takes it to a deeper level when you not only want something for yourself uh, in a sinful way, in a selfish way, but you don't want the next person to have it. Okay? But that's still not even what evil is. Evil is when you want harm and destruction to fall upon others. You see the difference? One of it, and, and again, we can, be, we can be completely in the sin when we're just desiring selfishly to have something. The next level, when we desire to have something someone else has and we don't want them to have it, envy. But then evil is when we actually want destruction, demolition, uh, harm to take place in someone else's life. You can see evil all around you. Uh, just, just get on CNN, Fox News, uh, go, go, go Google uh, UK News. I mean, you're, you're going to find evil is going on all the time, I, I do hear people. I do hear dear, hear, uh, hear people say that uh, you know the world is going to hell in the handbasket. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. I disagree with this. I don't think things are getting worse. I think things have been worse for for since the fall. We we have the, both the privilege but uh, the strange responsibility of the information age, where we're able to see what's going on a lot more clearly. It comes to our attention a whole lot more. But I'm telling you, as you start analyzing 
uh, the destruction, the evil, the wickedness that's going on right now in our country or in other countries. It's stuff that's been going on for decades, centuries, for millennia. Evil's been around for a long time. We just, we're just able to hear it and see it a lot more clearly. And even in real time, we're able to see it. Um, we, we saw evil in 9-11 when foreign enemies gave their own lives to kill and to bring terror to, to Americans. Uh, you can see it in Nazi Germany where they killed their own countrymen because they're different from themselves. You can see it, you can see it in Sudan and, and the Congo where they killed their own kind because, because it, tri- it tried to further their own political purposes. We've seen it in the last uh, five weeks here in Huntsville, Alabama where we've seen an 8th grade boy shoot and kill another 8th grade boy. We've seen it where a Ph.D. Um, professor shot and killed and totally just demolished a whole biology department at uh, University of Alabama in, in Huntsville. Evil is alive and well here right among us. Uh, and we, we, it's horrible that these things are happening and, and as, as I look, and I mean, we've, you know, Huntsville, you know, we've been on Forbes magazine and, and online, we've been on their list for years as being one of the best places in the world to live, right here, right here in the Tennessee Valley. And, uh, and there's people saying, my goodness, what is going on? What's going on with all, all this shooting? What's going on with all these guns uh, in, in the school? I mean, my, my son's middle school just this past week was locked down. Because a gun was found because there was a threat, you know, to possibly kill another student. It's like, what is, what's going on here in Huntsville? We, we've got to wake up. We have to know that there is a battle that is going on against, against actual wickedness and evil as it fights against the ways, the ways of God. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're going to go into this whole section in just a minute, but I wanted to introduce this to you just with this verse. I mean, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's like, well, yeah, sure we do. Are there, are there enemies? Are there some very real people out there? There are murderers and rapists and killers you know, who want to kill. Yes, they are. But the point that, that Paul was making to the, to the church there in Ephesus, it's like, but the battle really, it's not even against the people that you see. The greatest, and, and even he's saying, the battle's not even, not even, doesn't even start with the man in the mirror. It's starting with the original enemy of heaven, the original enemy of, of Yahweh, Satan himself. And so, in this time when we talk about life as war and identifying your leader, Identifying your enemies, identifying your allies and your weapons, and learning how to wield our weapons in community, and having a warfare mentality. Let's let's talk a little bit about identifying enemy number one, and that's that's Satan. Um, Satan is an angel. He he once served God. Um, there are some things that are said about him in Scripture. There's some there's certain scriptures that are given that. Many scholars over the last couple thousand years have said uh, we think we think this is talking about him. But let's take a look at some of these. Luke ten, seventeen through twenty. 
uh, Jesus had sent out 72 disciples go, to go out and to proclaim Jesus and proclaim, tell them repent for the kingdom of God is near. He was telling them to, to change their ways, tell them to change their mind, stop living for themselves, repent, follow Jesus. And they went out and they, they took the authority of the kingdom of God with them to where there was healings that took place. Uh, there, were, there were people uh, who were uh, blind who were able to see. Uh, there, there were people um, who, who had lost, lost much and uh, was given back to them. Uh, they, they loved the people. They brought the reality of it. And it says here, the 72 returned. They came back from being spread out, taking the message of the kingdom and the reality of the kingdom. And they said, Lord... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. All right, stop there for just a second. Because God wants you to know, first of all, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, a son or a daughter of God, that the demons of God and, and Satan is included in this. The demons of hell, these angels that fell from the way of God, that they are subject to us in the name of God. Okay? They're not subject to us, they're subject to us in the name of God. And that just doesn't mean, that doesn't just mean that we go around if we just say Jesus or say Jesus a certain way. If we say Jesus or say it a certain way, that that's what gets it. Or if we say it loud enough, Jesus, you know, that that's what it's talking about. It's the name. It's talking the authority of God. That they're subject to you as a Christian if you're living in the authority of God. If you're living outside the authority of God, you'll be demolished. Some of you are living right now, demolished, because, and you're like, I don't understand, I'm a Christian, but you're not living in the name of Jesus, you're not living in the authority of Jesus, but they said, they're subject, I mean, they came back, can you imagine this? I mean, they'd been seeing Jesus cast out demons, and they come back, and they're like, we can't believe this, the demons themselves, you know, they scatter because of your name, and Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he goes further. He says, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Does it say some, some of the power of the enemy? It says all of the power. Everybody say all. All the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to subject to you in the authority and in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't rejoice. You're excited about this. This is something new to you. But something's far greater than that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so so where, where we're going with this, guys, what's vital for you to understand is the weapons of your warfare are found in your identity in Christ. Your names are only written in heaven if you're a son or a daughter of God. So the number one weapon of your warfare, and, and we're, getting, we're getting ahead, there's a little, little bit of a preface here. But the number one weapon of your warfare is your position in Christ, your identity in Jesus Christ. It starts, it starts there. But Jesus said in here, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 7 through 9 says this, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, 
but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay? Jesus has just gotten through saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And here we're told a great war arose in heaven. Some, sometime backwards in time, before, before mankind was, was invented and created by God, made by the Lord, before there was an Adam, before there was a Eve, we don't know if it was before the universe was created or after the universe was created. It really doesn't matter. But in, in the reality of in the presence of God, wherever heaven is, or whatever kind of a, of a plane it's, it's on, and whatever dimension it is, there was a war in heaven between the angels and this person, this angel called Satan here. And he rebelled, he rebelled against his creator. He rebelled against the one he worshipped. We're told a third of the angels believed his deceptions and fought against I mean, Unbelievable. We're, we're told that he's a deceiver. He's called the accuser. We'll hit that scripture in just, in just uh, a little. Actually, we won't be hitting it. We don't have time. Zechariah 3.2 talks about him being your accuser. He accuses you before God himself. That he accuses you. And that, that at some point he accused God himself. Um, Isaiah 14 describes the fall of the actual king of Babylon, the real, the real guy back then. But there's been a lot of um, theologians and pastors over the centuries who've said that it actually had a dual interpretation. It didn't just mean uh, the, uh, the king of Babylon, but it also pointed to Satan himself. Let me read it to you. And it doesn't, it's, it's not vital that this is talking about Satan. However, if it is, it does give a little bit more insight. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to Sheol, to the, very, to the far reaches of the pit. And, and, and for sure, this is talking again about the king of Babylon. Um, the, uh, uh, but it could be talking about Satan as well. Um, the Hebrew term where it says day star here, some other versions uh, you may be looking at, um, say morning star. Um, in Latin, um, it's actually translated... Lucifer. That's where we get the term and the name Lucifer. Um, and if it is talking about Satan here, and and it's calling him the morning star or the day star, we don't even know if Lucifer, if that was if that was a name or not, but a, a description uh, about Satan. Uh, again, we don't know for sure if this describes the very real king of all the demons, but it'd be congruent with what motivated Satan that he wanted to take over. He wanted equality with God at the least, but it looks like he wanted to take it all over. But there was such a jealousy within his heart and such even a self-deception by which he thought, I know better than God. 
you hear that? The beginning, the beginning of, of his sin, or at least at the core of his sin, that he would say, I trust myself more than I trust God. I know better than God. I, I, I present to you guys and to myself that that's also at the core of, of our sinfulness and our, our wickedness. Is when we come to a place where it's like, you know what, I, I, I don't trust God, and, and I, I know better. I know better than Him. We talked about that a little bit last week with Adam and Eve, and, and that being their, their downfall. It's they stop trusting Him, and, and they're like, okay, what we think is, is better and higher than God. We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our motives. Examine our agendas. Examine your dreams. Examine your visions. Examine your plans that you have in front of you. And do they reek of saying, I know better than God? Are they far removed from Him? To where you're like, man, God, I don't want you near these plans. I don't want, I don't want you to touch these. Because God, I'm afraid you're going you're gonna to mess up, mess up my plans. You're going to upset the apple cart. That, that God, if, if you start messing with where I want to go and what I want to do, that you may take me someplace I don't want to go. Think about it. So here's this Satan, king of all the demons, the greatest of all deceivers, the greatest of all accusers. He hates God. He hates the Holy Spirit. He hates Jesus. You know who else he hates? He hates the creations of God. He hates the other angels, and he hates mankind that was made in his image. But you know who he hates most among mankind in the image of God? He hates those that have been made his sons and daughters. If you're in here, if you're listening to my voice right now, if you're a Christian, Satan hates you. You are on a hit list. Now Satan may not know your individual name. I don't think he knows mine. But there are demons out there. Minions of hell. That you are on their list. And they've been watching you since before you were born. They saw you. They saw you as a, as a newborn. They saw you crying. They saw when you pitched your first fit, you know, at two, at two years old. Now, that wasn't your first one, was it? They saw, they saw when, uh, when you took that toy back at, at five years old from your brother, your sister, from your friend, said, no, that's mine. You know, they wrote it down. They saw the things that happened externally to you growing up. They saw the sins that were committed to you. They saw the violations upon you. They took notes. They've seen you when you've been depressed. They've seen you when you fall. They know your weaknesses better than you. Satan wants to destroy you. If you're a son or a daughter of God, if you're a Christian, his, his, greatest, his greatest tool against you is deception. For you, first of all, to not understand who God is, and what took place on the cross and the resurrection. That if, if, you, if He can keep you from understanding how amazing grace is and how free you are in Jesus Christ, He's got you. That if, if, he, can, if he can keep you from living a victorious life, and He can spread that cancer through others, He's got you. 
John 10, 9-11, Jesus was speaking. He said, I'm the door. Okay? Jesus, Jesus uh, he, states, uh, uh, he states that He's the only way, only path to peace and forgiveness, and only path to God, the only path to heaven and righteousness and love and, and the way that God has made us. He's the only way. And here He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by Me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. He contrasts himself to someone else. Your greatest enemy. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what, that's what your enemy wants to do. He's a thief. He wants to steal truth from you. He wants, he wants to kill, he wants to kill godliness and holiness in you. He wants, to, he wants to destroy the name of God in your life. He wants to destroy your witness to other people. He wants to destroy your hope. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to rob you of real love. He wants to imprison you in shackles that have no locks upon them to where you think, if I can only be good enough, if I can only do things right, then God will accept me. If I can only do things the right way, she'll love me or he'll love me. Maybe dad will finally tell me that he loves me and he believes in me. Maybe if I do things right, you know, my my friends, that they'll finally accept me and wants to trap you into this works worldview that acceptance from God, others, and even upon yourself, it comes only, only if you can do things well enough. But, But Jesus contrasts himself further in verse 10 he said i came that they may have life and have it abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep you have an enemy out there that he's going to sacrifice nothing for you what he'll do he'll just steal and kill and destroy as long as you do not identify him and do not know know that through the authority of Jesus Christ, you can stand against Him. Not in your power, but in the power of God. Because God can stand against Him. And God is within you. You can stand against the enemy. And you have this Savior on the other side that says, not only am I going to, am I going to throw some help here and there from a distance, I'm going to be the help. I'm going to come and I'm going to sacrifice myself. And I will take the death and I will take the wrath and the destruction that, that my enemy has brought to this earth, I can take all of that upon myself. I will take it all upon myself so that they can be free. And that's what He did. That's what He did on the cross for us. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Um, Zechariah 3.2 in, in the section a little before and after that talks about um, a high priest named Joshua. And how Satan himself, this time, the very real Satan, the real persona, stood against Jesus and he accused the high priest named Joshua. And Jesus said, no, I'll have none of that. Should we, should we fear Satan? Should we tremble because of this mighty, mighty dragon who has took, who's taken so many people down to their death? We should not. Um, God tells us this in 1 John 4. It says, little children, and, and, and I, He purposefully and strategically patronizes us. 
He calls us sheep sometimes because we're dumb like sheep. We don't get it. Over and over and over again, we don't get it, and yet He still loves us and still moves in us and prepares us. Um, but here, He's like little children. Little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For He who is gr- in you is greater than he who is in the world. And it's talk, it was talking in there about false, false teachers and all that. And so it's talking, it's talking that, that within, because of the God that w- lives within you, and, and listen to me, if you're not a Christian in here, we don't believe that God just exists and is within every person. Pers- people are born without God within them. And only through grace and through God changing our hearts and us placing faith in Him and repenting and turning everything over and surrendering to Him, does God come and invade our lives? And as a result of that, God being within us, that we're, over, we're able to overcome any people who are enemies and any false teaching, but we're able to overcome the world itself. And the world is, is described over and over by the Bible as all the systems and the worldviews that are the opposite of God's way. Courage, you know, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Satan, you guys, as a reminder, is not, he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere, but he has a host of minions that know you well. They know you. They've taken notes on you. And they know, really, that many times they don't even have, they don't even have to do very much because we get so trapped by our own self. And that brings us to enemy number two. And that's you. We battle with ourself. Um, being a new creation means that we're a strange hybrid. That we have got a new heart and a dead heart that within us. The dead heart, this is Christians we're talking to. This is dead heart that's, that's within us. We've been released from its power. We've been released from its shackles. However, we, we just have this tendency to, to go back to that. Go back to that old, dead heart. The Bible calls it the flesh. Walking in the flesh. We default, we default there. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 um, and 17 describes this new creation that we are as Christians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold... The new has come. So every day, you wake up on this battlefield. Every day. And every day, you have armor on. Every day. What you must know is, you you have to to look in the spiritual mirror and ask yourself the question as you view at yourself, do I have the armor of self on or do I have the armor of God on? So I'm telling you, if you have the armor of self on, you are just wide open to defeat. And the armor of self is just like walking in the flesh, the armor of God walking in the Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's where our strength is. Our strength is not in us. Now, God is within us, so yes, it is within us, but it's not a thing, it's not a thing where God is saying, I'm passing 
the strength on to you. I'm giving it to you. It's not where he's, he's FedExing his power to us. And it's up to us. It's not that he's, he's, throwing, he's throwing a 40 mile an hour spiral right at your chest. And it's up to you to see if you can catch that ball. It's that God himself is the power. And he's within us. And it's a matter of if, if we block God from, let, from his power being through us. Or whether we, we really have this release and a surrender by which God uh, blows us away by, by living out His power. He is the power. He is the good news. God is the gospel. And so therefore it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Mark Driscoll uh, said this. He said, uh, when you become a Christian, the battle's not over. You've just switched sides. We're, we're in this battle. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's, not, like, uh, it's not like you're in, in a bomber 30,000 feet and just dropping the things down. And I don't know if you've seen some of those old World War II black and whites of, of the, drop, the bombs being dropped. And, and they're dropping hundreds and thousands of bombs. And you just, they just have these black and white screens that they're looking at where it's, it's, you see this poof, 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 you know. And in that, there are hundreds of people that are being killed. But they're so far removed that there's, there's not the same emotional, emotional uh, uh, attachment. There, there is an emotional attachment to what they're doing, but it's not the same as being closer. Moving in a little bit closer, a sniper maybe from uh, 500 yards away, you know, and, and, and they're, they're hidden, they're undercover, and whack. And they take, take their enemy out. Again, they can see it, they can see the destruction, see the person fall dead, but they're not right there. The description that's given to us is a hand-to-hand combat. You know, even if, even if you've got a gun and you shoot somebody from 20 or 30 feet away, it still is not the same as if you've got a sword or a dagger and you thrust it into a person or slit the throat or what, whatever it is because when that happens, the blood spills upon you. You're close. You see it. You, you know that you're the one that is, is, is killing the person. It is it's so very obvious. And that is, that, is what, that is what God wants us to know. Is That's the kind of battle that we're in. We don't have, it's not a convenience thing. It's not, it's not the guys with, uh, you know, that, are, that are in the, the back of the Humvees that have, that have the small planes uh, that are they're flying and they're, they're, they're dropping the bombs, and they're just viewing things on the screen. It's hand to hand. It's bloody. It's messy. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, day of, in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. He kind of shoots all the way to the end here. Because he's going to describe now what the armor is really like in your life. But he's saying, but listen, listen, just know that, I mean, God, God is your strength in this battle. 
In, in fact, that, that God is your armor. He is your armor. And if you're wearing Christ, if you're putting on Jesus Christ, you will stand and you'll stand firm. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be bloody and you'll be, you will be injured in the middle of this. But you will stand. And you'll stand firm. And so we, we need to make sure if we're in a battle that we're able to identify our weapons. And, and I mentioned earlier, our greatest weapons are God and our identity. And He's the one that protects us. Verse 14 starts getting into some of these, some of these weapons. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's just start there. There is no Christian without the truth of, of, of the gospel. If you're a man or woman, if you're a boy or girl, a student, and, and you're, you're kind of looking, looking at Christianity and in your mind you're trying to figure out, is, you know, is this historical? Is it authentic? Can I trust the Bible? You know, is, is this real? What, what people... People are, are, are believing. You will not come to the place, you won't come to that tipping point of complete surrender to Jesus Christ until the truth of God and therefore the truth of, of humanity and the human condition and, and sin and our need for a Savior until, until that rests upon us. And the truth and the reality that, that God did not just leave us in our sin, leave us in our rebellion, but that He came and He lived and he died. And he rose again because he's God. You know, the, this is the belt. This was, this, was, uh, this was something that held up, that held up um, their robes that they were in. When they were in battle, you know, when they got, when they got ready and said it's time to fight, what they would do is they would reach down and they would take it and they would tuck it in so that they would be ready to fight so they wouldn't trip over their own clothes. I trip over my own clothes, my clothes, myself. I trip over myself all the time. And what God wants me to do is He wants me, He wants to say, Dave, tuck your clothes, tuck yourself into truth. Stop believing your, your deception. Stop believing the things that have held you back. Stop trusting your mind and your old dead hearts and trust me. The truth of who I am. The truth of who you are without me. The truth of where the world is. Now, I don't believe they necessarily meant it this way, but belts these days, and if you think even about a, a weight belt, you know what, it, what weight belts do for us today is they, they provide support to the core. Provide your ability to where if you need to lift something a lot, some of you guys, you know, you know, you've done, you do deadlifts, you know, you do clean and jerks, and you know, um, and some of you guys, you, you've, 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 uh, you've thrown your back out, or, or maybe you've, you've got a, had a hernia or something like that because you've lifted something too heavy and you were not girded enough, you're not supported enough, and so therefore destruction took place in your life. Truth is what supports us. We cannot continue to lean upon our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge Him. So He'll direct our paths in the way they should, 
they should go. We lean upon Him. He, he supports our core. He gives us strength for this hand-to-hand battle to where we don't get herniated and we're just knocked out. And, and destruction takes place. Second part of verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know what the breastplate protects? The breastplate protects your heart. Guards your heart. God wants us to know that righteousness is the only thing that can protect your heart. He is, he's given His sons and daughters, His family, He's given us new hearts. And what He wants us to do is He, he wants us to, to protect that heart and wants to let the old, let the old heart to con- just to s- stay in its deadness and for us to stay away from it and, 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 trusting, and trusting in it. He wants us to know that ultimately, when it comes down to it, I mean, the heart, man, when you're pierced with an arrow or somebody sh- shoots you with a bullet, you know, and it hits the heart, as soon as that heart stops, you are dead. You're dead. If it doesn't start back up in a matter of seconds and minutes, you're dead. But you know what's beautiful? Is though Satan can harm our emotions and our affections, as far as our, our heart and the reality of our being and who we are for, for eternity, He cannot destroy our heart. It's protected by righteousness. Not my righteousness, thank God. It's Jesus' righteousness that covers my heart. And it covers your heart to where again, we know man, Satan can come in and he can, he can damage us. But he can't have us. He can come and he can, he can bring destruction in our life, but he can't ultimately destroy us. Now, there, are, there are Christians that they die in defeat. Unfortunately, that, that they, I mean, there are, there are Christians that commit suicide. There, there, there are Christians that just die at a low point in their life. But the reality, even though they may have died in defeat, they're raised in victory because God is far bigger than their defeat and their sin, their addictions, their vices. Satan cannot have the heart that God gave you. He can attack you by that old heart. And if you're living by it, you feel the effects of it. You know what's amazing though is, is that just as Christ's righteousness covers our, our hearts, do you realize your righteousness, which many of us know has been said it's like a filthy rag, our own goodness and our perfection is so filthy, that's what covered the heart of Jesus when He was on the cross. All of your sin. All the vileness and wickedness and selfishness in me and it's in you, all of that became like His breastplate. It covered His heart. And His heart was broken as a result. Verse 15 says, As your shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the combat boots that we are to wear. The shoes we wear are the gospel which brings peace. 
that as we go, we talked a few weeks ago of how our, our feet, they, they stink. And they, I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that's a metaphor for how we need to be cleansed. We're forgiven by Jesus completely. He's taken care of all of the penalty for our sins, but we need to be cleansed and our feet represent that. Our, our feet are dirty and, 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 and full, full of dung in there because of the, the, the wickedness that we walk in in our lives. And our hands get all dirty because of the things we, that we do. And, and, and you could even look at it as our mouth. You know, our minds need to be, be cleansed. It's that, that as we go, where we, where we go, we take the level of peace that we're living in. And for some of you, because you're living out of an old dead heart, the peace that you take with you is not peace, but it's actually anxiety, or it's worry, or it's depression, or it's gossip, or it's malice, or it's infighting. That's the peace that you're taking with you. And God's saying, no, 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 that's the wrong, that's the wrong news. That's bad news. That's old news. That's dead news. It's like, take the news of the new heart that I've given you. Take my news and, and take me because that's real news and that's what will bring peace wherever you walk, wherever you go. Um, I was watching... Uh, I, 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 Danielle and I used to do martial arts um, back in Virginia and just haven't had time. You know, Maybe, maybe when the, the nest is empty, which I'm not anxious for, but... Maybe we'll have time again someday. But I was watching a show the other day called Fight Science on either Science Channel or something like that. And uh, cool, cool program. There, there's lots, lots that they were doing. And they, they, uh, they showed, they showed that this guy, they had uh, sensors underneath their feet. And one, one guy was like a ninja dude. And he's on all these posts and, and looking, looking around. You know, they, they're like throwing, throwing stars at him while he was balancing on you know, on, on, a, on a little post and, and, it, and it would reveal, it revealed where he put his, put his pressure and, and where he walked. You know, it, it would, it's like it, it would light up and, and it, would, it would reveal things about his walk. And, and, I, and I just can't help to think that if we only knew what the spiritual sensors were, that as they reveal how we walk, where we put pressure, where we trust, how we walk, is it a strong posture because of God within? Or, or is it one where we're weak? Where we're falling? What does it look like? What do your footprints look like? What kind of news has your life been bringing those around you? And, and I'm just telling you, the only reason we take bad news with us is because we we shove God down. We keep Him from exploding through our life. And we take old, dead news of an old heart with us. But the reality is, is, is that everywhere you go, you actually do bring good news with you because God is within you. We just have to learn what it means to crucify the flesh daily. To deny the old nature. To walk in the Spirit instead of in the flesh. I'm telling you, what people need from you is they don't need perfection. You don't need to place that upon you that I've got to be, my, I have got to be the good news. That all the stuff I do needs to line up so well that people look at me and they say, man, that guy is so good. I want to be a Christian too. What you need to know is that 
to know as you go, you take grace. And the great news is when you share with people, it's like, man, I'm screwed up just like you. We're both jacked up. But man, God brings peace and love. He brings forgiveness to my life. And that's, that, that's the missing element in your life. It's why you're frustrated. It's why you're depressed. Verse 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Scripture says without, without faith it's impossible to please God. And that actually refers to salvation. God's got to give us faith and then we respond back into faith. But, but faith is a gift that God gives us that we are to, to wield. Um, faith, again, it's, it's a complete and utter trust. It is a childlike thing. It's a thing that says, you know what, even though it doesn't look like God's in control here, I'm just going to trust God that you're in control. When you look at it and you see what's going on in your life and, and you say, God, I, why are you allowing that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it that way. The shield of faith is one that just says, oh, but God, I, even though I don't get it, I trust you, God. I trust you. Do, do, you, see how, do you see how that can be what, what extinguishes the flaming darts that come at you? Because these darts, they're ex- external. They're coming, they're coming from an enemy towards you, which basically says, look at your circumstances. Look how bad it stinks. Your God doesn't love you. Where you look and you see how people are treating you, you see the relational toil and struggle that's going on in your life and around your life and the people that you're with, you know, and, and, and your enemy, he sends a dart in there that says, if God really loved you or if you were really good enough, all these relationships would work out. The shield of faith, it's just simply that. Where it says, God, it really looks pretty bad. My perspective is it's pretty gloomy at times, Lord, of what, of what I see going on. But God, You see way higher than me. God, I, I know I'm, I'm, you're teaching me that I, I'm not supposed to, to trust my own perspective or trust my own wicked heart, that old dead heart. But rather, I'm supposed to trust in you. And God, I, I just want to do that. And, and, and I'm telling you, as it, when, when this gets down to how we're, we're to pray and praying in the Lord's Prayer, I mean, there's so, so many areas in here, here to pray, but one of them is just to be able to say, God, you know that, you know that I don't see it just like you do. But God, please, would you strengthen my faith? Would you add to my faith? Some of y'all, you need, to, you need to pray that today. You need to add that daily to be able to say, God, take my faith to a whole new level. To where I, I trust you more than I trust me. To where I trust you more than I trust my circumstances. Trust, trust what you see more than I, I trust what I see. Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. Do you know that one of the greatest battles that we face, it's a battle of your thoughts. It's a battle of your mind. And we've been talking through it. Just how we have trust issues and faith issues. It's, I mean, Romans 12, 2 talks about that we, we must, our mind must be renewed by God. 
that, that we have to say, okay, God, there's so much a part of me in my mind that I think according to an old system that distrusts you. God, would you please renew my mind? Would you please change my mind? God, would you guard my mind? You see, again, by default, it's like we wake up with, with our own armor of the flesh on. A belt of truth is one where we trust we're being girded by our own truth, by our own perspective, by our own worldview. And God's like, no, trust my strength. Where we're wearing our own shoes, taking our own news of peace, which, which in, our, in the flesh, it, it's that our news of peace focuses on the circumstances or focuses on the relational difficulties that are in front of us rather, rather than focus on the reality of the great news of Jesus and Him being in us. And this shield of faith, rather than holding up, man, I trust in me. I trust in me. And we think, you would think that it would be this huge shield. You'd think, you'd think the shield of me would be so big that I could be able to say, hey guys, listen, I got it taken care of. Everybody behind me, we got it. But when I stand behind my own shield of me, there's nothing there. The shield of faith, God's faith, God's gift is what changes us. The helmet of salvation, we, we recognize God by my own mind, by my, which is connected to that old dead heart, the old dead mind that needs to be renewed. God, I, I put it away. God, please, Lord, I have access to the mind of Christ. Lord, I want to think through Your, through your mind. Um, we have access to the heart of God. We have access to the perspective of God. We have access to the ears of God. And, and so we, we need to say, God, as I go today, may I look through things through, through your perspective instead of mine. And, and he's not going to give you his full perspective. We couldn't un- take it. We couldn't understand it. But to where we're saying, God, I don't want to look at my life and my day through my own eyes. Some of you, some of you men, I mean, I, I know I've been there. You know, you see a, you see a, a lady, lady jogging past you and all that. You glimpse, you know, maybe then you take a second look and just kind of stay there for a little while. You know what the mind of Christ will do? If you put on the mind of Christ... You'll see, you'll see a woman. You'll see, you'll see people younger than you and older than you, the people that are around you. And you'll say, God, what do you think about this person? What do you think about that woman? For you ladies, what do you think about, about that man? What are, God, what do you think about my enemy? To where all of a sudden, instead of being blinded by lust or being blinded by the need for revenge and bitterness... Those scales are taken away and we're able to see people through the eyes of Jesus. What if we saw every girl and woman out there and said, that is a sister to me. Now you don't know if every person out there is a Christian or not. What if you looked and just said, you know what? I want to treat every girl and lady out there as if she's my sister. What if you said, looked at every man and every boy so I want to treat them either as an older brother or a younger brother to me. How would it change things? 
you guys who you're having difficulties in the boardroom, some of your strategy meetings out at work. You may have this overbearing, controlling boss or head of your project, and he just drives you and drives you, and he and he maybe he he marginalizes you, embarrasses you, humiliates you. What if, what if instead of just looking through your reaction to this person, what if you just said, God, how do you view this person? How can I really love them the way you love them, God? How can I be your hands and your feet? God, would you please place the helmet of salvation upon me so that I, I work through the mind of Christ instead of mine? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, among the armor that's here, the vast majority of armor is, is defensive. Um, we're coming up on two of them that are offensive. Some people have said there's one that's offensive and it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not true. And there's two. The next one is going to be prayer together. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the accuser himself, by Satan himself, 40 days in the wilderness. Even Jesus himself, he fought back with the Word. He fought back with the Word of God. He knew it. What does, if, if the sword of the Spirit, now the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is powerful, but if you don't have it, or if you don't know it, what good will it do for you? If it hasn't invaded your soul, if it's, not, if it's not something that's challenging your old mind and your old heart, what good is it going to do for you? It's not, I'm not talking duty to where he's like, oh, all right, okay, I've got to go from five minutes to two times a week in the Bible to 15 minutes a day. He's like, oh, grin, grit and bear it. talking about that. I'm talking about God, you love me so much that you have you have given me a a weapon uh, to be able to use against guys be in the word of God. Verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um pray all times in the spirit. Um now I've got some charismatic friends that they would say what this means very specifically, is it means praying in tongues. Um, although, I, although I believe in the gift of tongues, I don't believe it's saying that only, it, it only counts if you're praying in tongues because we know that tongues are not gifts that are given to every Christian. So if that were the case, this would be a, a list that's like, okay, uh, some of you have everything, or all of you have some of these, but, some of, but only some of you have all, all of them. What it means is that we that we become people, that we pray, we engage God so much. It's not just quality time with God, but it's quantity time with God that we pass over these, these uh, tipping points in our prayer life and in our understanding of God that we, that we go from just praying from our mind and our heart, which is necessary, to where God reveals His heart. When we start praying and declaring the very things that are coming from God, and we can do it even with, with a confidence, but it only comes through quantity time 
with God. The last part of 18 says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication just means when you're asking, you're, you're going on behalf, you're standing in the gap for, for, other, for other people. Guys, we are to pray. We're to pray for ourselves. We're to pray for, for others. And, and it, it's, prayer itself is a weapon that we fight against our enemy with because God designed it. And it's interesting to me that, that to a big degree we fight on our knees. Who would have thought that some of the most effective battling would be when you're on, when you're on your knees? I mean, when I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the dude who was fighting you know, at knee level couldn't do very much. But God's saying, when you go before the Lord in prayer, using, using prayer as a weapon, God does amazing things. And, and it, means, it means that there are some victories that are not realized because you and I fail to pray. Let that sink in deeply. Let us be heavily convicted about that. There are, there's provision. There's a lack of provision in this world when we are not obedient in prayer. There's a lack of protection when we fail to pray as God calls us to. Um, John Piper said this. Uh, I think I'm, I might have read this last, last week. I want to pray it again. Prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage. It calls in for troop deployment and target location. It calls in for protection and air cover. It calls in for firepower to blast open a way for the Word. It calls in for the miracle of healing for the wounded soldiers. It calls in for supplies for the forces. And it calls in for needed reinforcements. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. And one of the reasons it malfunctions in the hands of so many Christian soldiers is they've gone AWOL. So we're to pray for community, those that we're in community with, but we also, it's vital that we pray in community. This prayer that we're studying, you guys, it's not just my, my Father in Heaven and, 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 and lead me not into temptation, it's it's our Father, and, and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil and the evil one. And so we need, to be, we need to be toiling together, praying together. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Men, you need one another. You must press into one another's lives. You must give the keys to your life to one another. You must disciple one another. Invest in one another. You must be invested into by one another. Or you will fail. Ladies, you need one another. You must press in. 
when the Holy Spirit, or when you just have this thought that just says, I wonder if I should mention this to that person. You know, I'm a little bit concerned about this. And, you know, I, I see this is causing problems. Many times, that's not you just thinking it. It's God saying, love them enough to go to them. Love them enough to stop the, stop the gossip. Love them enough to, to say, I, hey, I, I love you, and I got a big log in my eye, but I didn't want to look, and here's where I'm learning stuff, but I just want to bring this up to you. You guys who are married, your victory in your marriage will be directly connected to the quality and quantity of time that you have on your knees together. Analyze it, I'm telling you. You look, and right now you're devastated. You look, and you're so impatient with one another. You look, and, and man, you just you don't even like to see one another. Compare that to your prayer time. There's a battle going on. Our enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy our children. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy in our city. And God says, I'm, I'm raising you up. I'm raising you up to fight against this enemy. And I've given you a power that's so great that it even, it even, it even can overcome your own flesh. God, uh, 